LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. Hey, everybody. It is Steve, the Rogue Scholar, and coming complete with my Grateful Dead shirt today because tonight at 7.15, I'll be on with Jen Perlman and Peter Hager talking about the insanity that's going on with student debt and so forth. But in the meantime, though, I wanted to talk to you guys about the alarm clock effect, right? The alarm clock effect that we always talk about for any other subject. We always talk about and when's that guy going to get sober? Well, he's got to hit rock bottom. And it's like, well, when is, you know, this going to happen? Oh, they have to hit rock bottom. There's a lot of opportunities that people won't take up until they've hit rock bottom. And, you know, I, my story, I've told it so many times. I, I really don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but suffice it to say, you know, I was born of the right wing traveled through the center wing and came out the left wing um, as a result of learning MMT. But I had a lot to unlearn, folks. I mean, an awful lot to unlearn. I, I had been raised a Reagan Republican and, you know, started worshiping at the altar of Ron Paul for years and uh, libertarians and, and so forth. And, and it really, you know, made sense to me because I hated our government. I didn't think our government could do anything right. I thought Ron Paul was the ultimate truth teller. Um, you know, it, there were things he got right and he, there were things he still got right accidentally. Um, but I pretty much flushed almost everything Ron Paul had to say down the trash heap as I learned how economics works. But for me personally, there was a whole series of major calamities that allowed me to have the mind to be fertile enough to be able to receive this new information and be able to make change. And so about 2009, when I lost my job at Verizon after 17 years, right in the middle of the worst financial crisis that had happened in my lifetime, I, I, I literally drank from a fire hose trying to figure out what was wrong with society and what was wrong with the economics and how to make heads or tails of what was going on around me. To make it even worse, I had just received not one but two master's degrees, both of which heavily influenced by right-wing economic discussions, okay? Both of them very, very heavy, heavily influenced by capitalist decision-making through the MBA program and significant understandings of what drives certain business decisions uh, through the technology uh, program as well. And so with all of this very, very intellectual graduate-level economics being pumped into my brain, I had to literally unlearn all of that. I had to unlearn years and years and years of school-trained, institutional-trained mindset about economics. And it didn't all happen overnight. But there was an urgency, and that urgency came around me pretty much losing you know, what I thought was everything. I lost my job, my family. Um, almost lost my house, still may lose my house. It's still not out of the shit yet, right? But he took this massive amount of horrible shit piled on me for me to have my wake up. It, it didn't happen. It didn't happen just because somebody said, Hey, Steve, did you know uh did you know the US government creates money out of thin air? That would not have worked for me. I would have literally flushed that shit right out, right down the toilet with my doogie, my morning constitutional, all that idiocy, all that really, really stupid stuff about MMT would have just been flushed down the toilet. 
I wouldn't have paid any attention to it whatsoever. But I had urgency on my side, right? I was trying to figure out why my life was sucking hard. I was trying to figure out something didn't make sense. Something did not make sense. I could not put my finger on it. Didn't understand. Now, the MMT happened before the political theory happened much later. Okay. Being able to tie this knowledge of how the economy works to something meaningful in terms of having a scientific analysis or a mental approach to what I'm seeing, an unflinching willingness to piss off people I love <laughs> um, just simply because I can't tell a lie, even if it's a convenient lie. And it really, really started causing me personally huge amounts of like dissonance, like this is what the world is doing. And this is what I, I'm hearing and see being told is true. And the two did not line up at all. And so for years, I slogged through that shit, literally trying to make heads or tails of this system, trying desperately to make heads or tails of this system. And I realized nothing can be isolated like that you can't just ice i mean you can you can look at the small part but you have to look at it in terms of the whole taking things out of context doesn't really get you there so in a society that literally doesn't have a lot of time doesn't have a lot of mental space has been insanely intensely propagandized people have been misled by institutions they've been taught to trust from the presidency to Congress, to the Supreme Court, to the newspapers, to our college professors, to our high school teachers, to our middle school teachers, to our uh, pastors and rabbis and ministers and so forth, to the babysitter, um, to billboards, to comic books and on down. You've been lied to a million different ways. And under normal circumstances, Having that much lie is a lot to sift through under normal circumstances. But what happens when you're faced with something that doesn't have like a long eternal kind of arc that you can figure it out in your leisure? What happens when the information you have or need to, to glean is so urgent right here, right now, but you don't realize how urgent it is right here, right now, but you must learn it right here, right now to stop a shark attack. You're swimming around with a wound in your leg in shark infested waters, and you've got to figure out a way to not get killed. It's that level of stuff right now with the economic side. It's that level of stuff because we have the climate crisis. We have all sorts of things with our uh, mental health, creating horrible problems. We have all sorts of stuff with education and income inequality and a lack of jobs for people transitioning from uh, you know, filthy fossil fuel type jobs, on and on and on. There's just stuff that's happening right here, right now that our politicians, if you're waiting and you're depending on them to come up with these ideas on their own, you're missing the point. They're not going to do it. They're not going to fight for that which doesn't have pressure on or which the donor class or their uh, sycophants within the party push for them to focus on. So you have to ask yourself, what will it take to make people not just wake up? Waking up is only a part of it, right? You got to get out of bed to make waking up matter in this case. What will it take for people to activate, to acknowledge, internalize, then externally mobilize this knowledge so that we can fight back and make a Congress and a government that is captured by big moneyed interests that have all the power and have none of the same sensibilities that I'm talking to you about. They have exactly the opposite sensibilities. They're absolutely looking at me and saying, thank God this guy only gets 20 people watching his live streams. Thank God most of his own volunteers aren't even watching. Thank God most people aren't watching because if they were, they'd realize that these people have the understanding of the economic system that could enable us to do these great shifts 
the 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 powers that be, the bad guys, are using this fake this fake economics to prevent you from making demands to change these emergencies now. And so, how do you do that, right? Well, for me personally, I realized that the orthodox thinking came into existence by violence. It did not come into existence. It did not become the mainstream. It did not become the academic orthodoxy without violence. It was excessive violence that brought these thoughts and stuff into public institutions. And people have died on the errors of those beliefs ever since. Okay. How do you take this knowledge and push it over the goal line? How do you take it? over the goal line? How do you make people wake up? Well, I start thinking to myself, when I look around and I think to myself, how do I reach person A, B, and C? And you know, me, I come from a drunk and a drug world. I come from a heavy metal world. I come from a world where people um, were, were struggling, okay? And so within that world, I focus a lot of my attention because I know the people that have been through that stuff and I know that they're not looking for easier, softer things for their ears. But there's a lot of you out there, a lot of people out there that get frustrated and angry with, with people making this an angry thing, with people making this challenging, with people not being gentle and polite and, and so forth. But the gentle and polite methodology will just allow you to go into your grave with a smile, knowing that you were kind and you didn't piss anybody off. But you've got a person walking through the street that's a zombie. They've been drugged. And there's a fucking truck running down the street. And it's going to literally run them over. If you don't jump out in the street, snatch them, pull them off the street and explain to them what's at stake. Okay? Now you've got the weirdos that will be immediately affronted because you know after all you must be a cultist or you must be a freak or you must be something else some other thing because why else would you be this passionate about an accounting identity right why would you be this passionate about something so weird and wonky as some theory right just some theory and this is where it becomes challenging because you realize that in the absence of a wake-up call, with the absence of something to just shake them up, to wake them up, to break the structure up without doing something, okay? Without doing something different, okay? You have to do something different. That's the bottom line. You have to do something different. And here's the thing. Pretend like this is where physics is saying you die if you don't get shit right. This is us. Now, if your easier, softer, gentle way makes you feel good, but nobody gets, nothing changes. If, if all it does is bring people back to the center to celebrate Joe Biden and deficit reduction, because after all, what do you want? You know, then, well, you're in trouble because we all die. That's the thing. That's the, the, you know what the silly prizes we win are from not waking people up? We die. That's the, that's the deal. That's the deal. We die. And so this whole concept of each one teach one is very important. Each one reach one is very important. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you allow ignorance to stand in the way of our survival we die no matter how gentle and sweet you were no matter how kind you were okay we die i don't want to die so i'm selfish like that right i'm selfish like that i admit it i'm very 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 selfish that i don't want to die and i don't want to die because somebody didn't do the homework to learn this stuff and get aggravated with me I don't want to die because they refuse to understand that a piece of paper can be spent right into the system, right? And so your love for humanity would say that their sensibilities in the moment, probably in the 
order of operations rank lower than survival. I'm just guessing. I'm spitballing. And you once you understand this stuff, if you understand that the country could spend to fix every one of these things right now, and remember, there is a deadline. Folks, physics is saying, fuck you, man. I don't care how upset you are. I don't care how sad you are. I don't care how uninterested you are. I don't care how busy you are doing other things. I don't care what you think you're doing. At the end of the day, I'm physics, and I'm telling you, you die if you don't fix it by this time, period. Period. And the problem with this time is we don't know what that time is. We already know. We're already seeing what's happened in Pakistan. We're already seeing what happened in Florida. We've already seen what happened in Puerto Rico. We've already seen what happened in Haiti. How many more are you willing to let die because you're in pursuit of an easier, softer way of explaining that debt and deficits are not the boogeyman? How many of those places are you willing to let perish under the water from earthquake, from fire, from hurricane, you name it? How many of them have to die for you to break the cushy sensibilities of a centrist? Think about it for a minute. How many of them have to die so they can feel comfortable hearing the message? Yeah, Flint, Michigan, exactly. How many have to die so you feel comfortable talking about it? How many of them have to die? Are you okay with their deaths because you didn't feel like waking people up? I mean, these are questions, real questions, because I don't know what the answer is to how to wake all of them up. Each one is different, right? And yet at the same time, though, when I see someone like Joe Biden actively celebrating deficit reduction, right in time for midterms, right in time for elections, and everybody's running, everybody's running away from the truth. Everyone is literally running away from telling the truth. I mean, seriously, everyone is running away from the truth. So what do you do with that? How do you, how do you fix that? You know, I, to me personally, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that because it's up to each person, really, at the end of the day. But I can tell you right now, hiding off in a corner in the shadows and being delicate didn't change a soul. But I know one thing. I do have a, I do have a picture. In 2016, we were reaching millions of people being outraged about taxes not funding spending. And a lot of the people that learned MMT learned it that way. Okay, They learned it with Ellis flailing around. They learned it with me flailing around. They were exposed to it by us. And invariably, we would get trolled. They'd come into the door screaming, yelling, what about the Rothschilds? And you have to deal with hours of trolling, hours upon hours of trolling. Now, if you've never been live on a camera and you've never read the comments section while you're live and you've never dealt with trolls, saying, this man, a crack of economic textbook or whatever. Oh, this fucker, blah, blah, he didn't know shit. Shut, fuck Grumbine, right? That's a real hard challenge right there to deal with when you're just a regular guy that goes to work in the morning, does your day job, comes home, bouncing your kid on the knee, try to take care of a family. This isn't your expertise, but you found something that's important and you're an activist. And all of a sudden, everybody's expecting you to be, uh, hmm, George Lakoff. Oh, hold on, let me see. George Lakoff, where did he get his PhD from for a second? Let's see for a second. George Lakoff. Huh, let's see. Seems like George Lakoff. Hmm. George Lakoff. Dude, dude has some got some hardcore credentials. Look him up. This is a guy who has massive amounts of education, lots of writings, you name it. 
but an activist was expected to be on the level of George Lakoff and judged, judged according to George Lakoff, Steve Grumbine. Steve Grumbine, who just literally almost lost everything in his life and has been on a quest to change that, lost his children, lost all the stuff, in the middle of a climate crisis himself, has lived through and almost died from all the outputs of this, told the shut up, sit down, ignored. Tone policed by the fair-haired ones. And you say to yourself, how do you wake people up? Before we started this activist-led thing where we were out there live streaming every day, before we started pumping out every New Economic Perspectives article onto RP's page, before we did that, every single person we bumped into, every single one, had not heard of MMT. We weren't bumping into fellow travelers. We were bumping into no one that knew anything. Every single person thought that Bernie was paying for his programs with a Wall Street speculation tax. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. But we came through like a wrecking ball and woke a bunch of people up. Now, I used to come of the mindset that if you think about Christianity and you think about evangelism, they have those who come out there and talk about fire and brimstone one minute, then they've got the next tier that comes in after that, swoops in and talks about the love of God, and then they got the next person that says, hey, let me pray the sinner's prayer with you, okay? The way we worked this thing out was we were throwing grenades or dynamite into the lake, knocking the fish out, the fish would rise to the top, and we were hoping for that next tier to scoop them up and start talking to them. Because you got to wake them up to break them up to shake the structure up, folks. Because if we don't do something now, it doesn't matter if you've learned MMT is the tsunami is coming to wipe you away. You, you get what I'm saying? When the tsunami comes to wipe you away, it's like, oh, I get it. If, <laughs> there's this great video by a band called... Um, uh, 12 foot ninja and they have the singer for a band named ginger most of this stuff is just going right past you i'm sure but at the end he's gone his whole life trying to find the answer to his dreams he starts out a young man at this door asking can you tell me about my dreams and at the end of the video he's an old man with gray and a long beard and all of a sudden the answer comes to him and right then Right then, something shoots right through the back of his head and kills him. He's done. He's done. He died right then because he learned the information and was dead, right? We need to be up front and early because the dead is coming quicker than we know. That, I'm telling you, I just was able to interview Akdaz Afsal. And Akdaz Afsal is a really great man, really nice guy. <laughs> And what I want to do, and I'm going to read this to you guys. This is a setup for an upcoming macro and cheese podcast. Um, but Akdaz, you know, he he basically wrote this great, uh, he wrote this great uh, paper in the publication called Dawn. And I want to see if I can pull it up here real quickly. If I can, y'all be very very grateful, I think, and happy. It's a wonderful article. Unfortunately, I'm stumbling around trying to find it, so forgive me for that. Uh, is this it? Maybe, maybe it. Maybe, 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 maybe. All right, well, I'm going to have to do it the hard way because it's worth it, folks. It's worth it. Um, on. And here it is. I got it. All right, so I'm going to share this with you guys. Forgive me, folks, for taking that time there, but I didn't really have a lot of choice. Um, so we're going to present the screen. We're going to go a Chrome tab. We're going to do Collapse of Civilizations. All right, here we go, folks. Get rid of these pop-ups. There's my guy, Akdaz, right there. 
really, really, really fantastic guy. All right. So let's go ahead and read what Akdaz had to say. Floods are perhaps as old as time. They've always figured very largely in the human imagination, primarily because of the sheer magnitude of the death and destruction they visit upon civilizations. The Bible and the Quran tell us about Noah, Nuh, and Arabic, and the flood. Other cultural histories also speak of great floods, including the great flood of Gunyu in ancient China, as well as Manu's flood of ancient India. However, rapid, look at this, rapid climate change brought by the global north's insatiable appetite for more consumption and production is increasing the frequency and intensity of such climate catastrophes. The flood this year is of biblical proportions indeed. If tangible steps are not taken to prevent future climate catastrophes, the next great flood may well lead to collapse of civilization in Pakistan. This may be an evolving situation, but as of mid-September, according to the Situation Report of the National Disaster Management Authority, these floods have wrought destruction of epic proportions. In addition to over 1,500 deaths, more than 33 million people, including 11 million children, have been severely impacted. More than 375 bridges and almost 13,000 kilometers of roads have been washed away. Over 1.9 million homes have been damaged. Million homes have been damaged. And while 2.8 million hectares, 7 mile, million acres of agricultural land in Sindh have submerged at the same time, the floods have caused massive damage to livestock that serves as a primary asset for poor people as almost a million animals have perished in the deluge. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to you all. Why? Because it's Pakistan. And after all, who cares about Pakistan, right? Who cares about Pakistan? Why in the world would anyone care about Pakistan? Well, Pakistan is very important for so many reasons. And if you check out the uh, interview with Akdaz Afsal, you'll get the understanding of that as well. But I got another thing here real quickly I want to read to you. And you all may get it. You may not get it, but at the end of the day, you're going to get it. I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to bring it to you strong because that's what has to be done. And if you understand what I'm about to show you, this is going to really cause you a real, oh my God moment. This is what I call murder. And this is what obviously other scientists call murder. And unfortunately, many activists follow the leads of sensitivity people that don't call it murder and therefore find Biden acceptable and so forth. Okay. But let's talk about this. This is October 5th, 2022. I believe that's today, folks. This is from the University of Glasgow, not your bar stool, not your friend that's worried about the sensitivities of someone's ears. Okay. This is how academics tell you that people are dying. Recent events have shown people across the UK are dying younger as a result of austerity, with people living in the poorest areas hardest hit. A new study published today now quantifies the scale of these deaths. Not, folks, let, let me just be crystal clear. They're not talking about inconveniences. They're not talking about Democrats. They're not talking about Republicans. They're talking about people in general, people, period, people that are dying, okay? People that are dying, right? Now, let's go ahead and do this thing here. It says, the study led by the Glasgow Center for Population Health, GCPH, and the University of Glasgow and published in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health Reports, compared to what previous trends predicted, an additional 335,000 deaths were observed across Scotland, England, and Wales between 2012 and 2019. Statistical analysis demonstrate that previously improving mortality trends changed around the 2011-2013 in both Scotland and England following the implementation of austerity policies in 2010. Of course, these are the results of bad monetarist economics 
that we're going to witness today because of inflation. And because we don't take it seriously like it's a gun, we treat it like, oh, it's just a gentleman's disagreement. Oh, my. You know, let's just talk. Oh, no. all Everybody's fine. Nope. Don't be harsh. Don't be harsh now. Statistical analysis demonstrate that previously improving mortality trends changed around 2011 and 13 in both Scotland and England following the implementation of austerity policies. Among females living in the 20% most deprived areas of England, death rates increased by approximately 3% 2010, 12, and 27 through 19 prior to the COVID pandemic. After having declined by about 14% in the previous decade, in Scotland, among the 20% most deprived population, rates of premature death increased by 6 to 7% among males and females after a previous decrease of 10 to 20%. The study adds to growing evidence of the profound and deeply concerning changes to mortality trends observed as a result of UK economic austerity policies. These have slashed billions of pounds from our public services and our social security system with devastating impacts. Without support, people have been swept up in a rising tide of poverty and dragged under by decreased income, poor housing, poor nutrition, poor health, and social isolation, ultimately leading to premature death now quantified by this study. Set a policy recommendation aimed at the UK, Scottish, and local governments in spanning macroeconomic policy, social security, work, taxation, public services, material needs, obesity, and COVID-19 recovery have been made. These would reverse the death rates and reduce the widening inequalities we are seeing without, without urgent action. The tragic figure of 335,000 excess deaths shown in this study will keep growing. Now, folks, I'm going to stop right there for a minute. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. If you're not fighting for the 335,000 that are going to die plus, if you're not fighting for the thousands upon thousands of people that are homeless and displaced and are dead in Pakistan, if you're not looking at Florida, if you're not looking at Puerto Rico, if you're not looking at Haiti, if you're not looking at the Flint water crisis, if you're not looking at these things and feeling a sense of urgency, I don't know what to tell you. It's quite clear that the average person wants to feel comfortable, wants to feel happy, wants to dawdle and ponder and pontificate and think about things just on and on and on. These are happening now. Now, right now, not, not tomorrow, not in some far off universe, right now. And because of this polite bullshit, this dumbing down of the effects of macroeconomic illiteracy, this dumbing down the effects, the deaths caused by macroeconomic malfeasance, the deaths that we ignore because we want to make sure this person we're talking to about MMT has a proper happy spot in their life. They get the little heart, they get to smile, they get to be happy. Never mind, never mind these guys over here. Because really at the end of the day, the issue really comes down to do we make them feel good about the exchange? Are they happy? Did they read a special book? See, I'm looking at this. And I'm saying that's the game. That's, that's, that's it right there. That's the game. Without urgent action, the tragic figure of 335,000 excess deaths shown in the study will keep growing. Dr. David Walsh, lead author of the paper and public health program manager at GCPH, stated, these figures are not only shocking. Uh-oh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. These academics will never stop. He said it's shameful. Oh, my God. He said it's shameful. People like it, like all red in the collar when I use the word it's shameful. But let's let the PhDs will save the word shameful for the PhDs to use when they feel it's appropriate to speak out. We'll stay quiet. We'll wait till they feel it's urgent. 
We'll let them dictate when the time is right for us to say no more. We've had enough. We'll, we'll let them, right? Because after all, what's an act? Why is an activist? How dare an activist express such rage? How dare he be offended that people are blowing this stuff off? How dare he be offended, right? We need to be feeling this. These figures are not only shocking, but shameful. And we must remember that these are more than just statistics. They represent hundreds of thousands of people whose lives have been cut short and hundreds of thousands of families who have had to deal with the grief and aftermath of those deaths. The tragic thing is that these deaths did not need to fucking happen. And the words of the United Nations in a society as wealthy as the UK, poverty is a political choice. It's the same in the US, folks. It's a political choice. It is a political choice. A political choice. Not something to be gentle about. A choice. A fucking choice. And yeah, I'm the bad guy. Sure, sure, sure you got it right. I'm the bad guy. Fuck. Political choice. The UK government needs to understand the damaging impact of austerity and respond with policies that put us back on the path of improving, not worsening life expectancy for all. Co-author Professor Jerry McCartney, Professor of Well-Being and Economy at the University of Glasgow said, as the UK government debates current and future economic direction, it needs to understand and learn from the devastating effects that cuts to social security and vital services have had on the health of the population across the whole of the UK. The Scottish government must also do everything it can within its devolved powers to mitigate the effects of these UK government policies and help protect people from the disastrous consequences, disastrous consequences. Let me ask you all, I'm going to take this off. When you know something is disastrous, when you know someone is going to die because of neoliberalism, because of austerity, when you know that, and you can be gentle, and you can be polite about those deaths, something's fundamentally wrong. Something is fundamentally wrong. The key word in that study is that it's a political choice and disastrous consequences. Co-author Ruth Dundas, professor of social epidemiology at the University of Glasgow added, this study shows that in the UK, a great many more deaths are likely to have been caused by UK government economic policy than by the COVID-19 pandemic. Folks, Read that, read that, read this whole statement. This study shows that in the UK, and please know that if the US had any spine, if the academics in the United States weren't busy trying to be polite to one another, if they realized that the UK and the folks in Glasgow are pointing out this stuff and they join forces instead of playing like, hey, when are we gonna go to another five-star dinner together or on the waterfront or whatever, right here. This study shows that in the UK, a great many more deaths are likely to have been caused by UK government economic policy than by the COVID-19 pandemic. We need to reverse the austerity policies and protect the income and therefore the health of the poorest and most vulnerable in society. Now, I want to go back to the Dawn article so you understand how serious this is. I'm going to go ahead and stop screen. I'm going to reshare screen. Now, you can clearly see, well, if you can't, let's put it this way. I can clearly see. I can clearly see, okay, that this right here is something that we have allowed to happen by not being in the streets not forcing this, not making people pay attention. Instead, they're all off chasing likes and clicks and other bullshit. 
this is it. This is ground zero to all of the problem. Every one of the things that you say you want or you think we need starts right here. Most worryingly, according to Save the Children, the floods have caused severe destruction of schools, especially in Sindh, where there's 16,000 schools have been damaged or destroyed, with another 5,500 being used to house families displaced by the floods. Disturbingly, there are many reports of large numbers of children succumbing to malaria, dengue, cholera, as well as people suffering from various skin ailments, especially in those flood-hit areas where the water is yet to recede. It could take another three to six months for it to do so. People still trapped and awaiting help as the government, the armed forces, and various NGOs are trying their utmost to carry out relief operations. Many figures for the reconstruction cost are circulating, but a realistic estimate will only be possible once the water recedes and a proper damage and needs assessment can be carried out in the affected areas. If we extrapolate from the assessment after the floods in 2010, while also factoring in inflation in the last 12 years, reconstruction will cost anywhere from between look at this paltry amount 28 billion and 37 billion now mind you this is in pakistan very poor not a heavily industrialized area not a lot of extra value added things just basic shit roads houses plumbing if that etc so reconstruction will require continuous public expenditures for years where such a huge fiscal outlay is going to bring pakistan's finances under severe stress Massive crop losses, especially cotton, will create additional pressures on the current account. Current account is the balance between Pakistan's finances and its rest of world exchanges with other countries. Okay, It's going to have a tremendously negative impact on their current account, their exchange rate, and their fuel prices. If initial estimates that 40% of the cotton crop has been lost this year are correct, then that translates to a gap of almost $7 billion in exports under the textile group, according to uh, data obtained by the state bank. And the longer it takes for the water to recede, the more delay this is going to cause for wheat sowing, creating a flour supply shock down the line. This particular concerning giving how souring, soaring bread prices will not only increase poverty, but could also lead to extreme social unrest, as in the case of Arab Spring. Think about this. I want you to think about what he just said right there, right there, right there. This particular, this is particularly concerning given how soaring bread prices, bread, remember bread from uh, France when the French revolution, the bread riots. Well, this is particularly concerning given how soaring bread prices will not only increase poverty, but could also lead to extreme social unrest as in that of the Arab spring. Think about Weimar when people were bringing a wheelbarrow of money to get a loaf of bread, okay? It appears that Pakistan is entering what Adam Tooze calls a polycrisis with various overlapping crises, political, economic, and climate-related reinforcing each other while pulling Pakistan deeper into disorder. Despite political and economic volatility, it appears that Pakistan's toughest, perhaps existential, challenge is going to come from the ongoing climate crisis, especially as there is now evidence that points towards spatial and temporal changes in the monsoons. Here's the last line I'm going to read. There's so much more. Please read this article on your own when I'm done. It says a dystopian future, once the stuff of post-apocalyptic films like Mad Max, is increasingly becoming a reality due to global warming and climate change primarily driven by an ever-increasing use of fossil fuels for economic production. Even though, listen to this, even though Pakistan contributes less than 1% to global greenhouse gases, it remains at the receiving end of extreme climate-related devastation. All right. If that's the case, if all those folks in Pakistan produce less than 1% of the global greenhouse emissions, but they're dealing with like a huge amount of the outcome of it. Would you call that murder by policy? How many people died over there from this? 
Do you think that that's something that can wait until someone's happy to receive the information? You think that it's uh, something that we can pity patter around about? I'm I'm just spitballing because I think that there's a lot of people that don't want to see these harsh truths and they purposely do anything they can to block them and not address them and not acknowledge them. So at the end of the day, your job is not necessarily to make friends, but your job is in fact to wake people up in a hurry. In a hurry. Because what happens when Pakistan, a nuclear power, by the way, with nuclear weapons, by the way, starts having migrations, and all of a sudden Pakistani Muslims and Hindus from India and stuff start meshing together. Two groups that despise each other for generations of pain and suffering between each other. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Is that another war with another nuclear power? And look what's happening already in Russia and Ukraine. This is the United States once again protecting hegemony and continuing to keep itself on the top of the heap. But at what cost? The economics are depriving us of health care. The economics are depriving us of student debt relief. They're blocking us from a federal job guarantee. They're blocking us from free college. All those things are nice. But they're blocking us from a Green New Deal and a just transition that will allow us to survive. Maybe. Maybe. We've been led to believe the government can't do anything, so we've pawned off our space program to Elon Musk and Amazon. We have almost completely and utterly given up any pretense of democracy in this country. Almost any, any chance of a democracy in this country is lost right now. Literally. Go out, search Bruce Spiva, S-P-I-V-A, Bruce Spiva. He was the DNC lead lawyer when they were fighting with Jared Beck in Florida about the DNC fraud suit, about how they had stolen, basically, donations for Bernie Sanders supporters and rigged the primary against him and see that the Democratic Party went out of its way to say we have no responsibility whatsoever to provide you with a free and fair election whatsoever. Zero. Zero. And you know what? Courts apparently agreed and threw the case out. So you know that if all you're going to get a chance to do is vote for Joe Biden or vote for Kamala Harris or vote for Buttigieg or whoever, You're not going to be able to solve the problems we've spent the last, I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes talking about. And see, even for people that do get it, I know a lot of people that have learned MMT. I personally helped them learn it. Who are busy off thinking about drinking, running off, doing some other thing, hitting every concert they can across the country, going over there, doing this, doing that. They're not in any way, shape, or form plugged in trying to make the change happen. They've checked out. They've got higher higher callings. Binge watching some Netflix. Okay? Higher callings. Without urgency, there is no change. Without urgency, there is no movement. Without movement, there is no change. Politicians are accountable to the donors. They're, they're absolutely not accountable to us. They don't even hear us. We're commodified labor. We're not even people anymore, folks. If we ever were. If you have a trash bag 
this is going to sound like a crazy analogy, but I really want you to think about what I'm about to say. If you have one of those big, huge industrial, you know, contractor trash bags in your hand, you put a bunch of stuff in there and you got some big items. What's the first thing you do after you put the stuff in? I know what I do. I shake it up once, right? Shake it up so that the stuff all sinks to the bottom so it can fit more in the top. Shake it up one more time, right? This is what the economy is doing. The economy is saying, hey, a couple people floated above. Nope, nope, nope. We're going to shake it up and bring everybody back down here. They were climbing up the ladder. They were climbing crabs out of the barrel. And we're going to shake it up and bring them back down here. So we have control. The people that made it out, they're looking in there saying, I don't want to get back into the pot. So I just better keep my mouth shut and enjoy my five-star meals. That's the deal. Hey, man. Life's pretty good, man. I sucks to be you on the bottom. I was I won the lottery of birth, baby. I'm gonna get to go to Elysium while you die on this planet. Their sensibilities don't match our reality at the bottom. They might be fellow travelers, but their timelines are vastly different than ours that are gonna die from this stuff. I've even heard someone say, and I swear to God, I hear, it makes me insane that I heard this. And it was right about the time of the Squid Game show. People were saying, stop worrying about the people that are dying and suffering today because they're already a lost cause. There's nothing you can do. Focus on the future. I'm not joking. I got people saying, there's nothing we can do about climate crisis, so fuck it, just learn to adapt. I'm not joking. <clears throat> we are literally dealing with a bunch of people who are sitting in front of their plate, their mother and father across the table, and they've got peas in front of them. And they're looking at the peas and they're saying, I don't want to eat them. I don't want to eat them. But you know you're not getting up from the table because they're the old school parent that's going to make you clean your plate. So you spend three hours sitting there at the table with ice cold peas. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's liver. Maybe your mom and dad made you liver and you're sitting there, Ugh, just the smell of it grosses you. Ugh. But you're not leaving the table till you freaking mal that crap down. Bottoms up, baby. That's what I feel like people are doing right now to avoid talking about economics, to avoid understanding economics. They would rather sit there and play the game with mommy and daddy of not eating their peas and not doing the liver dance. See me personally, we had this long bar under the table. It was a flat board that went end to end across the table underneath. And my brother and I would sit there straight back to look for our parents we would take whatever food we didn't want. We'd put it on the spoon. We'd go up under the table and we'd put it on that little ledge. We'd walk away. One time, my stupid ass was so dumb, we had one of those old glass fish bowls. I thought, hey, nobody will even notice it. And I spit all my food into the fish bowl. It was empty, right? There was water in it, but there was no fish. My mom and dad saw and they're like, you fucking idiot. But I feel like, we're doing anything and everything we can to avoid dealing with the one important thing. I get it. Class struggle is important, but you can't have class struggle if you're dead from a tsunami. We have to understand these things. They're very important. But right here, right now, we didn't choose it. We didn't ask to be born here at this time and history but right here right now we are dealing with an existential climate crisis that requires us to be more than just passerbys to be a hell of a lot more than just sort of casually interested marginally involved marginally willing again very very fixed you know, physics is saying, keep trying to squirm. I've got you covered, man. 
It doesn't matter if you come up with the answer over here because you're dead if you wait till you get over there. And if you wait too close over here, you're not gonna have enough time to fix whatever it is you need to fix. You've gotta get it back here so you can implement something and make it happen. And then boom. If you wait to over here because you're too busy worrying about offending someone's precious sensibilities, you've missed the point. And the point is, folks need a wake-up call. They're hearing all kinds of propaganda from alt media. Everybody's chasing around all these things, all these James Bond novels. But I don't see any of them staying on this. I mean, even when I talk with Jordan, we're, we spend time talking about Trump. We spend time talking about this every week. We talk about Flint. We talk about, you know, climate crisis. We talk about the uh, coming uh, economic recession, global recession. We need to be on this like stink. Like, the, like there is no other things to talk about at this point. Like it's that important. And until we embrace it to be that important, it is never going to be that important because it's not just that it's important. It's not just that we're talking about it. It's then we have to put action to it. We've got to organize. We've got to show up at the Fed. We've got to show up at Congress. We've got to show up at the White House. We've got to show up at our local coffee shops. we got to talk to our local politicians. We've got to do more than just bitch that we don't like someone's voice or the words they used or they were harsh. They were harsh. Makes me sad. Makes me so sad. Speaking of harsh, I'm going to tell on myself. Those of you who have children that are autistic, you'll appreciate this. My son's very repetitive. And so am I with MMT, right? But my son is very repetitive. And sometimes he doesn't listen, <laughs> like all kids. But it's a little different with a child with autism and trying to remember to walk that fine line between knowing that you have to be extremely gentle not to break that fragile flower and not crush their spirit. That's what I do at home. And every once in a while, I'll lose my temper. But for the most part, he's my best buddy. I cuddle him. I'm very sensitive. I never, ever try to be angry with him. No, within the MMT space, this is a tactic. It's a tactic to wake people up. This is not the sort of thing you just say, oh shit, I've got to bury myself in knowing that the country can do whatever it needs to do to save us from extinction. Unfortunately, the tone police exist and they've used it. It's not so much a real thing. It's really a more a matter of creating their own little space. We're the anti Steve. We're the anti that. But in reality, in reality, everybody wants to be comfortable. But to solve the problems we're facing, it requires us to be extraordinarily uncomfortable. And I hate to say this, but I'm over. I'm over the politeness stuff. I'm over it. And I'm hoping that we find ways collectively to shine a light on the stuff and wake people up to it. Try to influence the influencers, but unfortunately their egos are too big to be influenced. Their egos, their platform, their already existing work doesn't allow for them to break stride. So no matter how harsh certain other groups are about their subjects, if I'm harsh about this, I get a fucking metric ton of fucking bullshit. I'm so tired of it. I can't explain it to you how tired of it I am. But the fact is, if I have to, I'll just keep doing it until we get to somewhere victorious because I'm over, I'm over it, I'm over it. Anyway, 
With that, I'm Steve Grumbine. This is the Rogue Scholar. Please check us out this Sunday. Ivan Invernizzi of Italia, MMT Italy and MMT France, a co-founder, will be joining us on Macro and Cheese. You get to hear all about Maloney, and you get to hear a little bit about the history of Italy. And with that, learn about fascism. And I am hopefully going to be able to have a great interview the following week, which we've already done with the Akdaz Afsal, who I just read his article. So hopefully you guys have an appetite wetter there. Go on out, check out Macro and Cheese. And with that, I am out of here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org. 